Available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Hello and welcome to me, Nigel Hewin, and to this week's edition of Outlook, being recorded on Wednesday, the 28th of June, 2023. And uh, coming up uh, in the next hour and a half or so, uh, Margaret will complete her story of the old grammar school in Hale Street. Uh, we'll find out from Sheila about the joys of ice cream and its origins of it. Dave's been out and about, and he's been to Twycross Zoo a, a, a few weeks ago, uh, and got assaulted there by some animals, I believe. We'll find out more later. And also, you'll find out how to save things on your laundry, rather than just bonging them in the machine, with some suggestions about what to do and when. And Ali's back again with a story about the end of the rainbow, and maybe the clock of gold, of course. And finally, we'll have uh, Graham's... Uh, birthday party, 50th party, the second of the three parts, um, but of course besides all that we will have sport, a report from the centre, uh, your post bag, but of course as always we're going to start with uh, local week's news with Elaine and myself. Outlook News. Coventry City Council faces a £20 million budget headache and the councillor in charge of finances has not ruled out cuts. The huge gap is mostly driven by a spike in inflation, according to the ruling Labour group. In a speech to councillors this week, leader George Duggins referred to the spectre of budgetary pressures the council is facing for the year 2024-25. He said the pressures will be very significant and that Cabinet Member Councillor Richard Brown will be working to try to solve a very difficult situation. We have at the moment a £20 million problem, he revealed. £18 million of that is due to inflation. The eye-watering figure is actually less than £30 million deficit the council predicted it could be earlier this year. But the message from Whitehall is, what we will get this year is flat. There will be no mitigation for inflation. Last year we got a bit more than we hoped for. This year, the indications are that unless anything changes, it will be a flat deal. Not only is most of the £20 million gap made up in inflation, but interest rates are still high at 8.7%. Asked if there will be cuts in next year's budget, Councillor Brown didn't rule them out. I can't say cuts are off the table. We can't set an unbalanced budget, he said cuts have always been discussed. That's something we do every year. There are some difficult choices, especially this year. What these are, I can't say at the moment. What is clear is that the gap won't be covered by the hiking council tax voted through by the Labour Group earlier this year. They agreed to raise the levy by the maximum 5% allowed without a referendum including 2% ring-fenced for adult social care after the government changed its rules. But it was opposed by the Conservative group, who argued the council should hike tax by 1% less, using some of its uncommitted reserves to plug the gap. Councillor Gary Ridley, leader of the Conservative group, 
said the Labour administration had managed to hoard reserves of over 200 million. He also took aim at some of its spending. He told the local democracy reporting service, How come there's always enough money to waste on schemes like Coombe Abbey Hotel or the multi-million pound purchase of Tom White Waste? Why are they able to hand out money to the city of culture like confetti? Councillor Rigby added, When the budget was set in February, they hadn't even spent all of the additional money provided by the government during Covid, yet they still imposed the council tax rise on the people of Coventry. Coventry University is part of a £4.88 million project to help develop a new class of battery. The University Centre for E-Mobility Research is one of ten organisations from across Europe to share the funding. The organisations have formed the Horizon Europe programme, which successfully secured the funding. The group is now focused on developing a new class of battery that will replace the current use of lithium-ion cells. The Healing Bat project will focus on developing self-healing concepts in materials and components used in lithium-sulfur batteries. It will then use the designs to develop new technologies. Dr. Joe Fleming from the Centre of E-Mobility and Clean Growth at Coventry University said, by seamlessly integrating sensing and self-healing functionalities at the cell level, we unlock the potential to create cells that exhibit heightened quality, enhanced reliability and extended cycle life. This research looks to empower cells to perform optimally, even in challenging, not ideal conditions. Healing Bat will create a toolbox of new materials, sensors and management systems, all with the aim of improving the quality, reliability and life of the battery cells. Stefan Palsa, project coordinator at the Technical University of Dortmund, who hosted the project's kick-off meeting earlier this month, said, Healing Bat will play its part in transforming Europe's battery industry towards a more sustainable, more competitive future role. A drug-dealing gang operating between Coventry and Leamington has been jailed. Officers uncovered the large-scale drugs network after one of the gang members was caught dealing drugs in an alleyway. Samantha Clues, Samia Abdul-Rahman, Lloyd Archer, Ricky Walker and Hermione Mafosala moved large quantities of cocaine and heroin from Leeds to Coventry and Leamington. Drugs were then sold in bulk to drug users, according to West Midlands Police. CCTV captured Walker dealing in an alleyway and the rest of his associates using youths to deal drugs throughout 2020. Walker was later arrested while being carried in a car driven by Mafosala, with a substantial amount of Class A drugs also seized. A search was then carried out at an address in Leamington, which was being used by the group for drug dealing. Officers discovered phones, weighing scales, empty bags and large quantities of suspected Class A drugs. Four of the group were jailed for a combined total of more than 30 years for their part in this large-scale drugs operation. The fifth member will be sentenced at a later date. Detective Sergeant Sarah Evans of West Midlands Police said, This type of offending nearly always relies on the exploitation of vulnerable people. 
including those who transport the drugs and those who buy them. Thanks to some excellent investigative work by the officers involved, we were able to break up and put an end to this group's network. Streets in Coventry are in such a bad way that drivers are forced to swerve dangerously to avoid potholes and elderly people feel afraid to go out. It is claimed that some roads are only being resurfaced on one side while there are reports of pavements not being fixed since the 1970s. Such was the picture given by Conservative City Councillors in a debate on the city's roads and pavements this week. The opposition group asked the City Council to express deep concern over the state of highways and footpaths. But while Labour members shared their concerns, they claimed the problems are due to national Conservative government cuts and rising inflation. The group also said they are investing a record £13 million into repairs this year. Councillor John Blundell told the meeting about a road in South Coventry which was only partly resurfaced six years ago. Residents raised a petition to get the other half done last year, but the road wasn't included in this year's programme due to inflation costs, he claimed. When you've got all your machinery to do a road, why on earth do you only do half of it, he said. Councillor Matty Heaven, Shadow Cabinet Member for the City Services, slammed the state of the city's roads and pavements as unacceptable. She said for too long, repairs of pavements and roads have been a Cinderella service. She called for the council to look closely at the quality of repairs so money is saved in the long term. Although Labour councillors agreed with concerns about the roads, they said the problem comes from government funding cuts and inflation. In an amendment to the motion, the group announced it is spending £13 million on repairing roads and streets this year. She told the meeting about the financial pressure on the council's highways department. Just seven miles of road in Coventry are due to be resurfaced or treated in 2023-24 in because of the rising costs for inflation, she said. Spending £1 million now buys 64% less resurfacing than in 2010, and funding for the work has stayed the same for the past decade. Pavement repairs cost £800,000 11 years ago, but this year will land the council with a £3.5 million bill, most of which is to be paid for from the citizen right-to-buy receipts. She added that the council's Pothole Pro machine can't be put on double shifts because of the cost of materials. Councillor Ridley, leader of the Conservative group, accepted that problems with repairs aren't limited to Coventry. I recognise that the financial situation is difficult and I recognise that there is a national problem with highways, he said. Hospitality and tourism leaders are urging people to support local businesses in Coventry after a popular nightclub closed its doors. JJ's nightclub, which was located at Skydome, closed its doors earlier this month after being at the heart of the city economy for 20 years. Businesses from Coventry bid, Visit Coventry and the West Midlands Combined Authority have all urged people to support the diverse nightlife in the city from bars, nightclubs, restaurants and theatres. The Visit Coventry website has also created a dedicated space to inspire decisions on where to go on a night out in Coventry. Managing Director of Visit Coventry, Paul Jones, says the nighttime economy has struggled to recover from COVID across the UK, 
with impacts by rising energy bills and the cost of living crisis. It's always a sad day when a venue in the city has to close its doors, but evening leisure and hospitality venues are a vital part of the city's economy and we are doing all we can at Visit Coventry to help promote this offer. Nighttime economy advisor Alex Claridge says the city is on the way up, but action is needed to protect the local businesses. Coventry bid manager Joanne Glover said, Coventry Bid is currently offering a range of training opportunities in order to support venue owners and upskill teams who are enthusiastic about their work within the nighttime economy sector. We are passionate in our approach and aspire for Coventry to emerge as one of the safest and most vibrant places to visit within the region. Illegal parking on a Coventry road is reportedly so bad that residents fear ambulances would be blocked in an emergency. Drivers park dangerously on double yellow lines most of the time, according to those living in Daintree Croft, a cul-de-sac in Charlesmore. The cars create a dangerous blind spot at a junction with busy Daventry Road, and people are often forced to walk on the road, a meeting heard. There have been two car crashes at the junction in four years and now 32 fed-up locals have signed a petition calling on the council to put in bollards by the yellow lines to block the vehicles. For long-term resident Richard Whitmore, his wife's health emergency was a tipping point. Back in October, she suffered a burst aneurysm and needed an ambulance. Fortunately, the road at the top of the croft was clear at the time because as soon as the paramedics arrived, they had to use breathing equipment to keep Brenda alive, said Mr Whitmore in a statement to a council meeting. It is vital for all the residents that the road is kept clear for emergency vehicles. Parking problems on the crofts were bad nine years ago, resulting in the double yellow lines, but now they've become worse, he told a meeting on Wednesday last week. The opening of Burger Boy, a new parking control system at, a local, at local businesses, last year created a perfect storm, he said. Shopkeepers, shoppers, takeaway users and delivery drivers now park on the road, regularly ignoring access-only signs. Often pedestrians have to walk on the road because of blocked pavements. This is worse for families with buggies, the disabled and the elderly. Parking patrols by the council aren't enough, as officers are only there for a short time, according to Mr Whitmore. Bollards would allow permanent access for ambulances, keep pavements clear, and help drivers see when turning out of the road, he concluded. But officers said physical measures like bollards would need to be balanced against access to some of the houses on the road and a dropped, dropped curb on the corner. However, the meeting agreed to look into supplying planters as a temporary measure on corners by the junction to see if it improves things. A student who went six months without running water or electricity when she was growing up is now helping to electrify Formula One at motorsport giant Mercedes. Coventry University student Inez Marokovic is now encouraging other women not to let their background or being female stop them from getting the career they want. Her parents divorced when she was young and Inez's father died when she was just 15. Watching the challenges and barriers to employment her mother faced in Croatia due to a lack of qualifications, 
The now 21-year-old developed a thirst for academic success, which remains to this day. The family struggled financially during her school years, but Innes did not let that stand in her way, using her studies as a form of escape. Innes credits that period with helping her secure straight A grades that sealed a place on Coventry University's motorsport engineering course and a placement year at Mercedes AMG high performance powertrains. She was hesitant to talk about her struggles and share her story for a very long time. But after seeing both hardship and the reward of hard work on International Women in Engineering Day, Innes' message to all young individuals is, nothing is impossible. She said, my background and being a woman have not held me back in my engineering journey. Regardless of what happens to you in life, you choose how to react to it and whether you will use it as an excuse or a motivation. I knew I wanted a career working in motorsport. When I was five, I remember watching my brother restore a 1987 Alfa Romero. I started working when I was 16 and saved up to apply to university outside of Croatia. I managed to save enough to do that and also buy a motorcycle. I taught myself how to fix and repair my bike and my plan to go into the motorsport industry was to prove my competence through my studies and extracurricular activities. Innes completed the first two years of her motorsport engineering degree with first class grades while working a full-time job at McDonald's and so she is now putting what she has learned at Coventry University into practice. She said what they look for at Mercedes is the engineering way of thinking. I had a long technical interview where I had to present my technical knowledge, knowledge that I learned at Coventry University. But attitude and work ethic play a massive role too. Five years ago, if someone told me, you're going to be working on a Formula One engine, I'd have laughed at them. I could not have dreamed of being in this position then and now my goal is to prove myself at Mercedes and secure a graduate role. I know how selective they are but the best part is that my career has just started. A Coventry man has appeared in court over the murder of Leicestershire woman, woman Natasha Moray. Shannon Grant of Rotherham Road, Coventry, has been charged with the murder of the 40-year-old after a three-day police investigation. Police were called at 8.42pm last Thursday to a report of Natasha being unresponsive in an address in Lowland Close, Whetstone. Officers entered the address, but she was pronounced dead at the scene. Grant appeared at Leicester Magistrate Court on Monday this week and four other others were arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender. Three, two men aged 22 and 53 and a 19-year-old woman were released under investigation on Saturday. The fourth, a 35-year-old woman, has been released on police bail while inquiries continue. Residents have been left furious at the cost of demolishing an eyesore car park in Coventry City Centre. The council had rubber-stamped plans to spend almost £1 million tearing down New Union Street car park 
and replacing it with a temporary car park. But angry residents have asked why the site wasn't looked after in the first place to stop it becoming so dilapidated. A council officer told a recent meeting that the 240 space car park is an eyesore and no use to us in its current form. Parking manager Paul Bowman said a new 150 space temporary surface car park will be built on the footprint of the car park and neighbouring Chilesmore car park. The plan alone will cost 971k, including just under 800k on the demolition alone. One resident said, if it had been looked after in the first place by the council, then it wouldn't be in this state. It means we as residents will all pay for it via council tax. And another claimed, this situation is a direct result of neglect by the council, who built it to a poor design in the first place. But some defended the move, saying, Concrete doesn't last forever. Air pollution and salt dripping from the undersides of vehicles in the winter takes their toll. And multi-storey car parks, in particular, can get quite expensive to maintain and repair. Design standards have changed, and the older ones just cannot meet them. Many people queried the cost of the work, saying... Which company is being rewarded such a lucrative contract for the demolition work? A drink driver has been spared jail after swerving through traffic and hitting the central reservation on the A46. Rajinder Kumar was said to have had a lucky escape following the incident near Coventry. Kumar, aged 60, was spotted driving recklessly on the outskirts of Coventry at around 4pm last Saturday, on Saturday, June the 3rd. A number of concerned locals decided to call 999. Officers attended and became concerned about his manner of driving as they observed him swerving between lanes before hitting the central reservation near London Road. Kumar was arrested at the scene and provided a positive sample of breath at nearly two and a half times the legal alcohol limit, according to Warwickshire Police. Kumar was taken into custody where further inquiries revealed that his driving licence had expired in 2018 and he was further arrested for driving without a licence. He was charged the following day. Kumar from Marconi Close Coventry was charged and appeared at Warwickshire Magistrates Court. He was sentenced to a driving ban of 60 months, ordered to complete 200 hours of unpaid work and to pay £249 in costs last Friday. A police spokesman said, There is no doubt that Rajinder Kumar and everyone else driving on the A46 near Coventry that day had a lucky escape. Fortunately, he collided with the centre reservation. It could have been much worse if he collided with another vehicle. A power, cut <clears throat> a power cut overnight left hundreds of homes without electricity last Thursday. A total of 1,073 homes in the CB3 postcode and surrounding areas in the southwest of the city were left without power after the supply went down at about 4am. A fault originating from the University of Warwick was the cause. National Grid said... National Grid engineers were able to get power almost immediately restored to 114 properties. Engineers had hoped to have power restored to the remaining properties by 6am. 
That forecast was revised shortly after 6am when the firm announced there would be a delay and that power would not likely to be restored until midday. But National Grid staff were able to fix the fault and power was restored to the other dwellings shortly after 7.15am. National Grid's power cut map showed the fault was high voltage, meaning these incidents tend to be larger, affecting the wider area and could mean your neighbours are off supply too. Travellers have pitched up on the same city green space eight times in the past five years, according to new data from Coventry City Council. A total of £223,000 has been spent on clearing unauthorised encampments in Coventry. Hursle Common was the top place where unauthorised encampments were likely to be set up in the city. Caravans most recently pitched up on the, on the land in May. Encampments are costing taxpayers tens of thousands of pounds in legal fees, clean-up costs and improving site security, figures have revealed. Residents have forked out over £9,000 to remove the groups and secure the land on Hursle Common. Coventry City Council is responsible for dealing with the unauthorised sites on public land in the city. Taxpayers have forked out thousands of pounds to remove the encampments with the cost rising yearly. A recent encampment on Jardine Crescent cost the local authority over £750 to remove, figures revealed. Some of the other sites which have hit taxpayers' pockets over the past five years were located at Caradoc Close, which cost 4500 Jardine Crescent, 2500 Whitley Common, 3000 and Langbank Avenue, 3500 a huge spike in unauthorised encampments then saw removal costs soar to £45, £125 in, in, £45, in 2020. Coventry City Council were forced to remove encampments on Siskin Drive, Gosford Primary School, Radford Common and Lenton's Lane. Councillor Peter Mayle told Coventry Live, the issue of unauthorised traveller encampments is an ongoing problem in Coventry with little resolution in sight. Last year the council spent more than 69,000 of taxpayers' money tackling a problem of which they have clearly lost control. Whilst the Conservative group has supported physical measures such as fencing or posts to deter unauthorised encampments, a more strategic approach is required. A Conservative administration would explore the feasibility of both a transit traveller site and a permanent traveller site in conjunction with a city-wide injunction that would enable unauthorised encampments to be removed more swiftly. And a positive piece of news to end with. A Coventry head teacher has been honoured for her 20 years of changing children's lives. Jane Frankish, head at Broadheath Primary School, has transformed the school in her years in charge. She has now been honoured with a silver award for lifetime achievement at the Pearson National Teaching Awards. It marks her outstanding commitment to changing the lives of the children she works with every day. Awards bosses say Jane, who is retiring this summer, has now been shortlisted to win one of 16 gold awards. The overall winners will be announced and celebrated at a gala ceremony in London on November the 25th. The Pearson Award said of her, Jane has been the head teacher at Broadheath in Foles Hill for over 20 years. She has transformed the school and the quality of education provided. 
and ensured that the children are happy, confident and prepared for the next phase in their lives. Jane retires at the end of this academic year and the award is a testament to her dedication to the school and the community. The Pearson National Teaching Awards are run by the Teaching Awards Trust, an independent charity now in its 25th year. It recognises the life-changing work that takes place in education. Michael Moore Pergo, author, former Children's Laureate and President of the Teaching Awards Trust, said, I am inspired by the devotion of teachers and the huge impact they have on the lives of young people they tutor, support, encourage and motivate day in and day out. I am delighted to congratulate the winners of the 2023 awards and thank them all for the amazing contributions they have made to our communities. Outlook News So that completes the news roundup for this week from Elaine and myself. And now before we move on, as ever, guess what? Lighting up and lighting down. Of course the days are now getting slightly shorter. Sunrise 4.48, sunset 9.32. Now, one announcement. British Blind Sports are having a have-a-go day coming to Coventry. And uh, this is what they have to say. Uh, why not try inclusive sports in Coventry at the Blind Sports uh, have a go day for blind and partially sighted people. British Blind Sports, that's BBS, is hosting a free sports taster event for blind and partially sighted people around the city. The event will take place on Saturday the 8th of July from 10am in the morning to 3pm in the afternoon at King Henry VIII School in Warwick Road. Uh, postcode for those who might need it, CV36AQ. Uh, the event will feature a fantastic lineup of sporting activities for blind and partially sighted people of all ages and abilities to participate in alongside their friends and family. BBS uh, have a go days have been held successfully across the country since 2016, encouraging blind and partially sighted people to become more active. The event will give blind and partially sighted people in Coventry and the surrounding area the opportunity to try adapted sports and learn about inclusive opportunities that they can continue to enjoy and participate after the event. Vicky Cook, who is a participation officer at British Blind Sports, said, We're delighted to be hosting a have-a-go day in Coventry to give blind and partially sighted people a chance to try and find out different sports and hopefully discover a new passion or hobby. Physical activity plays such an important role in living a happy and healthy life. Our have-a-go days ensure that more people will get an opportunity to experience some of the activities available. Now, if you want to register to attend, contact Vicky Cook on 07983 498120 or email her on vicky at britishblindsport.org.uk. And for more information about the Have a Go Day programme or to register online, visit the British Blind Sport website, which is britishblindsport.org.uk. 
Great, so there you are, there's an opportunity to get involved in something energetic for a change. Uh, and now here's Hugh to tell you how other things energetic are happening around here. Well, it's, <laughs> a, it's always energetic, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll go straight into energetic and indeed to some sort of uh, blind sport because um, uh, Chris and Claire, I just thought I'd let you know this, are uh, uh, tomorrow, at, uh, which is Thursday, as, as I'm talking to you, uh, are taking part in an event called Running Out of Time, which is about... Uh, environmental awareness. Anyway, it's a, uh, a, a 366 stage run from Ben uh, Ben Nevis to Big Ben. They're not doing all of it. Oh, God. Nobody's <laughs> doing all of it. I was holding my breath then. It's divided <laughs> up into all different sorts of so stages. Uh, and so they are going to be running uh, the 5.8 kilometres uh, from Newbold Common to Warwick Castle. Um, it's stage 225 of the um, uh, Running Out of Time uh, project. Uh, there's no sponsorship involved, it's fairly sort of... Um, uh, but what we hope to do is uh, we'll get them uh, with uh, get with asking people to volunteer uh, for the charity. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a bit of a news story as well. So when's that going to happen? Uh, uh, so that's Thursday morning from 8.35. So uh, if you're listening to this... You've already missed it, but um, <laughs> but that's what's happening, um, so it's great. So uh, congratulations to them. We look yeah. forward, you know, because they're both mad about running now, and they're doing they so are. well, yes. they're really, really well. Raised a fortune for us yep. earlier in the year, if you will remember. Um, so uh, from... Uh, <laughs> being very fit and healthy to being fat and less healthy, I think. Uh, our summer garden party oh. and the cream teas that we oh. will be offering there. Uh, so just to remind you that that is on July the 22nd, the Saturday. Uh, the, the Saturday, not this Saturday. The Saturday that is July the 22nd. Um, we've got posters, um, lots of them actually available. So if you have got somewhere where you think you might be able to put a poster to advertise said garden party, then do please ask at reception and they will give you one and uh, you can put it up somewhere. Um, we are really very keen to find uh, somebody to or people to bake cakes for us. If you could bake a couple of or get one of your charming family members to bake a couple of cakes for us, just the loaf tin varieties like banana bread and uh, or, uh, if the courgette glut starts, <laughs> then courgette cake is absolutely delicious. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Really, really good. It's, oh. it's one of the best ways to use up a courgette. I've never or had two. it. Never it's had it's it. absolutely oh, yeah. great. Chocolate, chocolate and courgette, you can oh, do. Oh, do you do chocolate as well? Well, give us a courgette cake its flavour though because courgettes are pretty bland well you they? do have uh, you put slices in, oh, in there right, okay. but actually but it keeps it lovely and moist yes. 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 hidden you can put parsnips they make a nice yes. oh, in right, a cake yes. as well because yes. they're yes. sweet yeah. look lots of oh, yes. vegetable ideas for cakes yeah. there yes. but also think you can think of other things as yeah. well beetroot <laughs> beetroot yes mm. that's very good and chocolate so there mm. we are mm. uh, anyway if you fancy uh, creativity or inspiring others to creativity there's a few cake ideas yeah. for you what do you think we're still looking for um, uh, things for the Tom Bowler and the raffle. Um, the, the pile is building up nicely. Uh, we uh, are s we're going to launch our spring uh, no our spring <laughs> raffle our summer yeah. raffle um, uh, either at the garden party or shortly before it. Uh, and we're just looking for one really good top prize. We think we're on the on on the track of one, but it's going to be a lot of really neat prizes this year, uh, including uh, a couple of tickets to the pantomime and uh, family tickets to the ice hockey and all Excellent. sorts of things. So, Excellent. so there's lots of really interesting uh, interesting prizes there. Um, 
Now, talking about sort of stuff outside as well, are you a member of any community groups beyond the wonderful family that is the Resource Centre? For example, you know, churches, are the groups, uh, the groups that meet um, at your church or, or temple or mosque who might, uh, might welcome a talk mm. from Kudi uh, to talk about uh, visual impairment, the challenges of it, and, of course, the support that's available um, from the Resource Centre. Uh, Kudi's already booked um, a number of uh, different talks, but we want to really spread the net out uh, as far as possible. So if you are a member of or aware of a community group uh, that, um, uh, that meets in the week, uh, who might be interested in having a, a speaker from us, like the Monday Club is always interested in having a speaker, then um, uh, we would really love to hear that. So um, either talk to me or talk to Kudi or um, when you come in, uh, let Heather know or call, whatever. Yeah, there's all sorts of all sorts of different ways of getting in touch. You know our telephone number by now, 24 7522 we have a new group starting next week. It's a walking group. Uh, so uh, what's going to happen is uh, a number of people will go out for a walk. And actually, initially, we're just going to say reasonably close to the centre. So we're going up into uh, War Memorial Park. Um, we were hoping to start it this week, but um, because various of the volunteers uh, couldn't do it, um, we're putting it off till next week. Um, if you're interested in joining Walking Group, please do let us know uh, because uh, and give us a call. Call Heather uh, or Carol and let us know because the, the places are a little bit restricted because, you know, going out, you know, we need to make sure there's enough volunteers there. So if we haven't got enough volunteers, then we can't take a massive group of people. When's, when's the, when's the morning? Beyond, uh, that's a very good question. Wow. Wednesday mornings. Always on um, Wednesday mornings. Well, yeah. at the well, moment... If, Wednesday, if you can do it every week. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, Wednesday mornings. Sort of time? Uh, sort of. Uh, we're thinking about 9.30 to 11.30. Okay. So, yep. anyway. Okay. Anyway, usual things apply. Uh, £6 for the minibus here and back. And then £5 for the walking group. But in that £5, you do get a free cup of coffee at uh, at the cafe uh, as well. So, uh, so that's how we're... How we're dealing with that. Uh, now, we did a shop event last Saturday, and uh, it was excellent. Um, we thought it was a bit quiet, but actually in the end we raised uh, over £400, which was terrific for uh, one day's trading in that shop. Um, we know we always make a lot more when it's the Elson Festival, because there's like a thousand so people, people walking yeah. past. Uh, but for, you know, a, a, a standard uh, go-large-in-the-car-park session... Um, for over £400 is excellent. Okay. So uh, so we're very pleased about that. Um, thank you to June and her team for uh, sorting that out. Uh, there, will be mo- there, will be en- there will be stuff available um, at the uh, Summer Garden Party. The shop will be having a sort of mini sale um, in the uh, Mary Beale Room. Uh, there will also be games for kids as well. So if you've got kids, you know, you can bring them along to the Summer Garden Party as well. The Summer Garden Party, that will start at 12 o'clock and not a minute before. 
Oh, let me tell you. Come, come, come early. Some people who come early <laughs> and they're demanding their scones before they're... And, 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 and While they're still in the oven. Well, yeah, and they're not, they're not quite ready yet. So <laughs> certainly not a minute before midday will the summer garden party start. <laughs> you know who you are. Um, so Someone, someone's got some red ears probably. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, quite possibly, yeah. Anyway, it'll be a lovely fun event. Um, let's just, well, presuming, provided the weather is okay. Yes, you know, but uh, so far, so good this yep. summer good that's it uh Two things. I was going to say, Carol apparently was on the radio this morning, wasn't she? Yes, uh, Carol uh, from the section. Yes, she. Uh, oh. We had a, a call in from the uh, from the BBC Coventry and Warwickshire. Uh, well, I had a call in from them while I was on a call to somebody else, and <laughs> and about fifteen things happening all the same time. And they wanted to speak to a volunteer on the Vic Minette show to find out what volunteering was like. Oh, and uh, so Carol um, spoke to them, and I understand. I haven't heard it yet, uh, but I understand spoke extremely well so uh we're always on the hunt for volunteers you know we are on a big campaign to find more volunteers uh so if you know anybody particularly people and they might be relatives but they might be friends who might have just retired or retired maybe six months or a year ago and uh have enjoyed the full mm. benefits of the relaxation that um, are now bored by it and <laughs> now completely bored rigid by it um then they can come here and uh, and help us out because uh, uh we do we do need all the support we can get there was an article in the Telegraph too, wasn't it, yesterday, about some funding you got spread, spared. You did not know it, did you? Yes, so we did know it, yes. So, know this it, is, uh, so this is uh, funding <laughs> from um, Global Make Some Noise. That's it. Uh, mm. So Global, I think I talked to you, talked to you about yes. this a week or two ago. Yeah. So Global, yeah. uh, they uh, run Classic FM and a few other radio stations. But yes, so we've got... Uh, uh, featuring the Telegraph now, so yes, yes, that's excellent. Yes. So yeah, yeah that's, there's going to be a lot of marketing around Good. that. So uh, yeah, so there's lots it's going all on. Happening. It's all busy. It's busy, 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 busy. 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 Yes. And yeah. also, may I say, what a nice table it was um, by the Resource Centre at the Floral Festival at the Methodist Church that's on this week. All oh, right. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Very, very nice table. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> that's excellent. Good. Oh, oh, oh yes. No, I do. No. Yes. Somebody came. Yes. Somebody, somebody took uh, took the. Um, yes. I remember. Yes. yes. Got it. Yeah, very very positive. Um, Good. Yes, yeah, shows everything off well. Brilliant. Um, and it's all things floral. Fantastic. Okay, well, uh, maybe you've got, if you, do you know if anybody's got pictures of that? I don't know. Okay, well. Well, it, it's still on Mon Thursday and Friday morning when Wellsprings open and 10 till 4 on Saturday. Okay, we might see if we can get somebody to take pictures of yeah. that and post them on Facebook. Good. Yes, Good. oh yes. Okay. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you. We'll see you again next week. No uh, yes, with any luck. With, oh, I, I, will be, I will be going on holiday at some point. No, well, in fact, I know when I'm going on holiday. I better let you know this. Yes. Uh, it'll be uh, I'll be off from Friday the fourth of August and back oh, on the twentieth of August. I oh, two so. weeks two to boot. Weeks, yes. Two weeks to boot. Oh yes. Go to France and Spain and Spain. Good. Driving. Good. Good. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Okay. That was a very chatty.
And now here's Sarah, another week's sports report. And at this time of the year, she has plenty to choose from, of course. Outlook Sport. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's sport. Now, I'm going to start off with a big shout-out to Eva, who I had the pleasure of working with yesterday at the IT group. Eva, A-S-D-F-J-K-L, semicolon. Don't have nightmares. And anybody else who's learnt with Doorway Online will know what I mean. Now, as to the sport. Well, it hasn't been a very good week, really, for British sport. Though I'll start with the positives. England in the European football qualifiers for next year's European Championship beat North Macedonia 7-0. Now, you might be saying, North Macedonia, who are they? Could they only beat them 7-0? Well, let me remind you that it was North Macedonia, or Macedonia as they used to be known, who actually put Italy out of last year's World Cup at the the qualifiers. So they're no small fry, but it was particularly great to see a hat-trick from Mikhaili Saka. Now, you may remember that young man was the victim of so much hate on social media after he'd missed the penalty in presumably last year's last time's European Championship but he was absolutely delighted and it wasn't not only his first hat-trick for England but his first hat-trick in senior football full stop now We'll get on to the bad news for the Brits. This week, tennis moved up a notch from Nottingham to Queen's for the men and Edgebaston for the women. All so good so far. Unfortunately, the furthest any of the Brits got was to the quarterfinals, the last eight, when Cameron Norrie and both Harriet Dart lost in their respective gender matches. Oh well, but I have to say the final at Queen's was something else. Carlos Alcaraz has just taken back his title as world ranked number one. He's won a Grand Slam, Queen's was his first tournament on grass and he is a wonderful player. He apparently studies by watching videos of Roger Federer and Andy Murray and he is so Roger-esque and he's 20. Oh, 20! You might say, well, that's okay for a tennis player but when you think that Djokovic is 36, Andy Murray's 36, Rafa Nadal is 37... 20 really is a little babe in arms. Hmm. As for the cricket, well, both the men's and the women's first test matches against the Aussies came to a conclusion. I have to say the men's was really exciting, thanks to Ben Stokes' earlier declaration. 
But the results were the same. I'm afraid England lost in the men's match by two wickets. And it really was the last stand for Australia, but they did it. Whilst in the women's, I'm afraid they were thumped out, losing by 89 runs. Now, this story rather took my fancy, because as you know, I am very keen on athletics. And this week saw the European Team Championships in Poland. Now, the winning country was Spain, ahead of Poland and Germany, with Great Britain coming fifth. But it wasn't that that really made me smile. It was this. The day after competing for her country, Belgium, in the shot put, this lass put on her spikes and substituted in for an injured colleague in the 100 metre hurdles. Now those of you who might know athletics will be aware that lady shot putters are, shall we say, usually quite bulky. Whereas the little hurdlers are just that. They've got legs up to their armpits, are very svelte and run in short crop tops and little knickers. Whereas the shot putters throw in often full track suits plus t-shirts plus singlet vest. Anyway, this last completed the race in 32 seconds behind the winner who took 13 but she hadn't run in the 100 metres hurdles since school and Belgium needed the points. And that is what you call national teamwork. And so it's nearly here and I mean Wimbledon, we're on the final day's countdown. There's a song there, but I won't sing it to you, but you know what I'm saying. So i I'm reading this, which is based on an article on the BBC website. But you know me, I'm going to throw in my own two penneth. So, Wimbledon is just around the corner with the best players in the world beginning their grass court preparations. So, when is Wimbledon? Well, it takes place from the 3rd to the 16th of July with the men's final on the 16th and the ladies or women's final on the 15th. Note to listeners that morphs nicely into the world athletics which morphs even nicer into the FIFA Women's World Cup and the start of the football season. Oh I'm salivating with anticipation which is not a pretty sight. So, who is playing? Now, this is really split into two. It's split into those who have a chance of taking the title and the Brits. Sorry, folks, but that's how it is, unless someone flukes it. Now, the defending champion is the Serb Novak Djokovic. As of today, it's Sunday I'm recording this, he's just lost his place as, as the world's number one to Carlos Alcaraz. But I think few would dispute that he really is the top of the pile. 
He'll be seeking an eighth Wimbledon title, which will equal Roger Federer's record. And of course, it will bring him a career calendar Grand Slam. Well, three quarters of it. That is where you win all the four majors within one year. He's already won in Australia and in France. And of course, he's already won 23 majors. However, don't dismiss the challengers to Jokovic, not least of whom Carlos Alcaraz, who today has just won the Queen's tournament and is currently the world number one. Now, the article also says other challenges could come from Nick Kyrgios, Alcaraz, and Holoruna. Now, I would also like to throw in Seb Corder and Kasper Ruud. Corder's American and Kasper Ruud is Norwegian. And I think both of those could swing it if the wind's in the right direction. If you know what I mean? In the women's draw, Elena Rybakina will be looking to defend her title, which she won last year, and didn't she not celebrate? Course, still she's a Muscovite, albeit competes for Kazakhstan. Also tipped is the Australian Open winner, Ariana Sabalenka. But don't dismiss chances from last year's runner-up, who was Ange Jabour and the American Coco Goff, and not to mention the world number one, Igor Svintek. So those are probably the ones with the most serious chance of winning, but which of the Brits will be competing? Well, the picture's much better on the men's side, with Cameron Norrie and Dan Evans having qualified automatically as of right, and bearing in mind their ranking. And also, of course, drumroll, Sir Andy. Wouldn't it be great if Andy pulled it off? Oh, yes, it would, it would, it would. Now, there is no woman in the top 100 of rankings, so they have all had to rely on wild cards. A wild card is a sort of an opportunity to play that's at the whim of the organisers. So obviously when it's a US Open, more wild cards go to the American players, Australia, Australian players, etc, etc. So we've got Katie Bolter, who is actually the highest of the British women, and, but is still just out of the top 100. Also receiving wild cards, we have Harriet Dart, Heather Watson, Jodie Barrage and Katie Swan. So come on ladies, you can do it. Please at least get past the first round. And now there have also been some wild cards from more British men. Liam Brodie, 
Jan Chapinski, who I confess I've never heard of, Arthur Fury, likewise, George Lofthagen, and Ryan Pennison. Now, the key thing with wild cards is, and I didn't know this, there are two sorts. The one just gives you automatic qualification into the qualifying rounds of which there are three and you have to win all three to actually get into the first round but other wild cards take you in to that first round now i don't know but i would expect katie jody heather and harriet liam and ryan to have gone into the first round. Here's hoping. And I love this bit. Oh, one other thing. Meanwhile, there will be very strong British contingent in the men's doubles with Neil Skopinski, Joe Salisbury and... Lloyd Glasspool, all in the world top 10. And of course, in the wheelchair men's doubles, we have the perennial Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid, who are looking to make their 16th consecutive Grand Slam final. And finally, reading directly from this article, what about Andy Murray's chances? Who knows? Absolutely. And I've just got one piece of and finally to end with this week. You may have heard on the local news that the Championship Country Cities League, our fixtures have been published. And guess who our first match is against? Who did I tell you last week we were so looking forward to playing? Leicester! We've got a special song for Leicester, but if I sang it, I think my career as presenting sport would be terminated, so I won't, though I'm willing to give a private performance to the two IT groups. So that really has been your sport for this week. Bye! With thanks to Sarah there for her report, and now over to Dave with your postbag. This is postbag. Join in the discussion. Hello again, and uh, welcome to your very own spot on Outlook. And just to encourage you to send in messages or phone them in is Doreen Hilton. She phoned me up on my home phone on 02476598484 and we had a lovely little chat and she recorded this message for you. Postbag is one of the loveliest things which goes across from the CVS. As I say for Postbag, I hope it will carry on and go on because it's so very interesting we get to know one another, and we, we have a laugh, if you want to laugh. Please, people, all those who listen, put 
your hopes forward and help us to keep it going. Okay, that's Dave. We want our Dave to keep going. That's Doreen. Bye all. Thank you, Doreen. I love hearing from you and other listeners. It's lovely to hear from Julia with the reports, which I hope you're enjoying. She often talks about her friend John, and this week he's kindly stood in for her. John writes, she's gone again. My friend Julia, I mean, this is the second time in three weeks that she stood me up. However, she's certainly warned me this time. She warned me last time too, but I forget... Uh, and I didn't notice until she didn't turn up. This time she told me all about it. She's gone to a nephew's wedding in Cyprus. What is the world coming to? Whatever happened to traditional British weddings? I used to play in bands that did weddings in the 60s. The happy couple would hire the local village hall or the dusty back room of a pub the two families would converge, everybody would get roaring drunk, a couple of uncles from the respective families would get into a fight over a bridesmaid, and everyone would go home happily, and the couple would live precariously ever after, or until the divorce, whatever comes first. What's wrong with that? Cyprus, indeed. I send them my very best wishes for the future. Anyway, there'll be no Julia coming round to my home today. I'll have to buy my own sherbet lemons and listen to the cricket. Which reminds me, poor old Sarah will be sitting at home right now, nursing her head after her operations. I hope she's feeling better. We miss her at computers. Best wishes to David and all at Talking Newspaper Land. Julia's friend, John. Well, thank you, John, for standing in for Julia this week. They are big boots to fill. Well, there's no one to insult you this week, so you have to insult yourself. I used to do wedding photography, and as I walked into receptions, they were very often playing I'm in the mood for dancing by the Nolans. Now, Edwina's in the mood for chocolate pancakes after hearing that they help you make you look beautiful. Hi everybody, it's Edwina. I hope you're all enjoying this beautiful sunshine and your skin is looking good. Do you want a beauty tip today? Well, it's a very unusual one. And it is about chocolate pancakes. If you eat chocolate pancakes, you will get a beauty benefit of glowing skin. It seems unbelievable, but this is one of the modern things that has come up with the new generation of beauty experts. They are looking into food that will help you to be more beautiful. This chocolate pancake is available through the internet. So I've asked David to give the internet address. And that's okay. lookfantastic.com. This special chocolate pancake contains collagen, which of course is very good for the complexion. 
Well, anyone who has seen Edwina will not think that she needs chocolate pancakes to enhance her beauty, and I'm sure you don't either. Just before Sarah's operation, I saw her crossing a road in Earlston with a lovely, happy smile on her face. And that's all you need to look beautiful. Also, best wishes and a speedy recovery to polar explorer and Everest mountaineer Mark Wood, who is having a bone operation around this time, due, no doubt, to the aforementioned reasons like climbing mountains, polar expeditions. He has this message for the Monday Club. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to link back up with my friends at the Monday Club in Coventry who um, hold a special place in my heart, obviously. Um, I, I'm always welcome at the place with tea and biscuit and uh, humour, which is a, a fantastic um, way to greet me. Um, uh, I just wanted to let everyone know what I'm doing over the next few months and over the next uh, year, actually. Um, at the moment, I am a little bit poorly. I need an operation, but um, I should be recovering within the next three months. And then I start to train. And I've been to the Himalayas for two months to train in the mountains and get my fitness back. And then uh, next year, March of next year, I'm going to be heading out to the uh, Arctic, so north, um, where I'll be, well my kit is actually in Blue Bay at the moment, which is an Inuit settlement in the north, um, so I'll be flying up there with a film crew in March of next year, um, and I'll be packing my two sledges, once everything's ready to go, I'll then be flown a further eight hours north to the edge of the Arctic Ocean, and dropped off there alone. Um, and this area is about half the size of Europe, with a population of about 500 humans and about 25,000 polar bears. So it's quite a vast uh, area to operate in. And I'll be spending 100 days alone crossing the Arctic um, for a major documentary. I'm also doing uh, some grubby science along the way for four of the leading climate polar scientists of the world. Um, and finally, I'll be doing a podcast every day, and on my new website, which will be coming out soon, Expedition Solo 100, right at the very top where the podcasts are, I've mentioned the Blind Society. And the reason I've done this is because wherever I travel around the world, whether it's Everest or North San Paul, I always give talks like this, so over the satellite phone, and I try and describe where I am at the time, and um, uh, describe where I am uh, so people who are, are blind or who are partially sighted can understand where I am and, and what I'm doing. Um, so it's as if they're standing shoulder to shoulder with me. So that's what I'm up to over the next few, uh, few months. Mark has been dedicated in wanting to share his adventures with blind and partially sighted people, and particularly the Monday Club, which has been doing via postbag, phoning up from the North Pole, the Himalayas and Mount Everest, with his lovely descriptions and fireside chats. We really have been privileged. You hear things in postbag people don't hear anywhere else.
Graham Whale heard something in Postbag that I picked up on Facebook where BBC CWR presenter and Facebook friend Dan Samble was inviting listeners to demonstrate outside the radio station against the cuts in local radio. It was interesting to hear that there'd been a demonstration outside CWR. I must admit there's been very little publicity about the dispute or the cutbacks on CWR itself. On the other hand, um, BBC Haver and Worcester um, shut up shop during the duration of the strikes, just play continuous music. But uh, the only indication that anything's going on on CWR is we tend to hear a strange voice reading the news but I suppose if these cuts go ahead we'll be hearing a lot of stranger voices I'm wondering what's happened to Brodie Swain Um, we haven't heard him on the air for some time I feel sorry for him in a way he was edged out of his afternoon programme when they moved to four hour programmes at the start of the pandemic we were left he was left I should say with two weekend programs which he will lose when these uh, if these plans go ahead um, and his precious BBC introducing on a Saturday night is being presented by different people where he used to re- pre-record it himself if he was uh, if he was away he could be on holiday but it's a long holiday he could be ill but I know the BBC the presenters have a habit of suddenly disappearing when their contract runs out, particularly breakfast presenters, John Gaunt, Liz Kershaw, Pat uh, O'Connor, um, not a word on the air, which we weren't going to hear them on the Monday morning. We had to find out what had happened uh, from, the, from the Telegraph. <laughs> um, so I'm just wondering, probably by the time this goes out, he will be back. Well, Graham, on Radio 4 on Saturday mornings between 6.07am and 6.30, I was listening to one of a series with Claire Balding called Ramblings, where ramblers all over Britain invite Claire to join them on their rambles. It really is a lovely, gentle, descriptive programme. And if you can't listen that early, the series is on BBC Sounds. I can highly recommend it. So it's lovely to hear from you. Thank you very much for your messages this week. And I'm sure you've got lots of things to talk about. Cuts in local radio. I'd like to know where you've been for your holiday or where you plan to go or a holiday organisation that you recommend. I heard that Dunwood Travel is really good, particularly if you're travelling on your own. And I won, I, I do know uh, a lady that used to go to the Braille class and that she goes with Dunwood, often on her own. So uh, that sounds good, but tell us what your findings are of these holidays. Or anything else you want to talk about, anything going on in the news at the moment, the third on Outlook. Okay, so thank you for your messages this week, and please let's hear from you next time in any way you feel happiest. Okay, bye for now. This is Outlook. You can contact Postbag. Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk. Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk. Join in the discussion on Postbag.
stay there with your postbag for this week. Now, last week, Margaret started relating the history of the old grammar school in Hale Street, and now she completes that story. In the early 1880s, when the new Henry VIII school was built, the grammar school was threatened with demolition. William Bennett wanted to clear it to build a theatre. The Catholic community wanted to turn it into a church or erect a new one on the site. In February 1884, Canon Beaumont wrote in Holy Trinity Parish magazine, The erection of the new grammar school has made it necessary that the old free school should be sold. The building possesses the greatest interest historically and architecturally. It is felt that it would be an act of vandalism to destroy such a relic of the past, but there is no prospect of it being saved unless it can be secured for some public purpose. A committee has therefore been formed to take steps for its purchase. An earnest appeal is made to all who, valuing the associations of the past, desire to preserve this building from certain destructional conversion to secular and commercial users. In April 1885, Beaumont's committee had saved it, paying £1,400. Afterwards, parochial meetings and services were held there, and it had much community use. In 1941, it received minor bomb damage, and in 1952, the council requested its demolition to widen Bishop Street. The Ministry of Works refused. It remained empty for years, just being used for jumble sales, and was again put on the at-risk register. Trinity Church went into partnership with the Transport Museum and in 2013, as part of a lottery bid for the museum, it received £1.5 million funding for restoration. In 2013, the Transport Museum's executive said, this funding will allow us to save a unique and historically significant building and tell our city's story in an innovative museum. It was reported that the building would provide heritage, learning and community activities. The Reverend Mayhew of Trinity said, We are particularly excited that it will, once again, be used for educational purposes. After much excellent restoration work, it was relaunched to the public in July 2015. The hopes for the building were never materialised and it's now a venue building for events such as live music, movies, meetings, conferences, weddings and public access is limited mainly to Heritage Weekends. Margaret will be back next week looking at another of Coventry's architecturally significant buildings. 
the hot sunny weather was with us for some time and now it looks like it's being a little bit, a bit more unsettled. But one of our naughty indulgences, indulgences during those warm summery days was surely ice cream. Here she's looking at the origin of this iced treat. Summer, a time for basking in the sunshine, seeking out shady spots to relax in, and here in the UK, of course, quite frequently sheltering from the rain. But whatever summer brings, it's often so much better when you're clutching an ice cream. Ices, as they were once generically known, have held a special place in the nation's hearts for over 300 years. Ice cream dates back to Roman chilled drinks and sherbets, sweet, partially frozen cordials originating in medieval Persia. But the more familiar technique of freezing flavoured custard, cream or water to make a solid, spoonable dessert first developed in Italy in the 16th century, spreading to the rest of Europe over the next hundred years or so. For much of its history, ice cream was a rich person's treat making it required a year-round source of sugar which was expensive to import and ice. The first written recipes appeared from the late 17th century onwards and included ingredients such as musk and ambergris, a solid waxy substance made in the digestive system of sperm whales, both used for perfume and as medicines. People had found a reliable method of making ice cream by this time involving packing ice and salt into a wooden bucket around a freezing vessel known as a sorbitaire. Early versions were simple pewter cylinders with lids, and later there were hand-cranked churns. But they weren't very good, as the salt corroded the cogs, and the earlier method was still used well into the 1950s. The all-important ice was cut from frozen lakes and ponds in winter and stored in ice houses, Deep wells topped with an access chamber, often with two or more doors, acting as an airlock to keep out warm air. The first ice house was built for James I at Greenwich in 1619, and country house owners soon followed suit. By the late 18th century, ices were well-established desserts in wealthy households. They came in three distinct types, cream ice, water ice and sorbet, water ice with added alcohol. Recipe books of the time listed such flavours as dark chocolate, parmesan which goes well with melon and parma ham, tutti frutti, tea, tamarind, bergamot and marmalade. The ices were often shaped using pewter moulds into elaborate table decorations. By this point people could also enjoy ice cream out and about. Confectioners sold it to discerning customers for a mid-morning pick-me-up and supplied ready-made iced puddings to those without their own ice house. Meanwhile, new innovations meant ice cream was becoming easier to make. Agnes Marshall, who became known as the Queen of Ices, patented a churn that promised to freeze ice cream in just three minutes. She also published a recipe book which remains highly usable, though perhaps her cucumber ice cream might taste nicer than the curry flavour. In the late 19th century, sugar at last became cheaper due to a lower tax from 1874 and the increased use of homegrown sugar beet. Street sellers soon began serving ices as penny licks. The customer licked the ice cream from shallow glasses. The glasses were then rinsed in fetid water, refilled and handed to the next person. 
Easier to see why tighter food regulations and the rise of the cone were welcomed within a few decades. While Parmesan ice cream might have dropped off a 20th century menu, that's when other innovations came to the fore. Vanilla, now the most popular flavour in the UK, only became commonplace mid-century when the invention of synthetic flavouring made it affordable. Ice cream also gained a new fun side with the introduction of such flavours as the Knickerbocker Glory. Ice cream remains popular to this day, although now you'll find it in cafes and kiosks rather than the ice house. The spirit of innovation continues too, with many places offering dairy-free ices and even doggy ice cream. With so many choices of flavours, it's difficult to decide which one to have, isn't it? What's your favourite? Let's know, know in postbag. Now, Dave's been uh, making the most of the lovely weather and has been out and about with Graham on numerous trips. Last month, they had an interesting trip to Twycross Zoo, where they had a close encounter with some of the inmates. Hello, big welcome to Twycross Zoo, and I'm here with Graham. And there's a big entrance hall here with a big adventure playground for children with a big chute you can slide down. Well, here we are in Twycross Zoo, and this is the first time I broadcast from the gents' toilet because in front of the wash basins there are some leaf cutter ants, and they're going over a kind of rope that goes up and down, and they're carrying leaves. And one ant in front seems to be showing them the way. Okay, so what have we got here, Graham? A more leopard. Right, a more leopard. Right, where is it? It's, uh, it has a size of uh, large animals, insects, small animals, and habitat um, mountains normally. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen it. You have? <laughs> so what's it look like? Yeah, like a Oh, yeah. yes, you've got spots. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, quite small, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And, and what job do you do? Uh, education ranger. So and I do the okay. talks on the animals and also provide certain enclosures like the butterfly house. Okay, so great. Any questions. So, oh, right. So what, so what kind of animals can we see at the moment? So in here we've got ten male meerkats. It's a bachelor group. Uh, yeah. They're not actually an endangered species, so we don't actually have any to breed them at the moment. But that's actually quite natural. So in a group of meerkats, you have to 30 animals. Yeah. Normally it's mum and dad and their sons and daughters make up the group, so similar to a wolf pack. So uh, they naturally live with their siblings anyway. So they're very happy in this arrangement we have going for them yeah. and obviously being a small animal these are all fully grown by the way they range from 6 to 13 years old uh, because they're a small animal they have lots of natural predators so living in a group is very important for yeah. them so they've got each other's back so there's always at least one of them on sentry duty so he's got the most important job in the house so that's why some meerkats stand up don't they yes so they stand up to show their belly to the sun so to warm themselves up but also to get a better vantage point over the savannah excellent that's thank also you that's why they uh, climb as well so there's big claws they have come in handy both for finding food, you know, by digging, climbing to find better vantage points and also subdue their prey. So they are an omnivore, so they'll eat both uh, vegetation and prey, live animals, so bugs, lizards, snakes, even small mammals and birds on occasion. Excellent. Yeah, even, even animals like, uh, you know, venomous scorpions and venomous snakes are not safe from meerkats. <laughs> but, hey, in, but hey, it's in the desert, you've got to take whatever you can get, really. You know, it's, um, you know, you can't be fussy, there's not much food at the best of times. You have to, yeah. <laughs> 
right, so uh, meerkats also sell insurance, apparently. <laughs> well, sadly, those adverts didn't do very good for meerkats, so every, after those meerkats came out, there seemed to be a big trend of people trying to get meerkats as pets. Uh, these animals do not make good pets at all, so they are they may look cute and cuddly, they are certainly not cuddly. They need to have big enclosures, lots of friends to socialise with, and they don't actually like being cuddled. They've still got big teeth and claws, and they know how to use them. Okay, all right, we have some orangutans there, and they're swinging on the ropes, they live in trees. Okay, and one seems to be holding a big cauliflower. There's big parents of the child, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah they do, yes. And they make good parents, don't they? Twycross Zoo is famous for its apes, and we saw plenty of them. Like the orangutans. Their name means Old Man of the Jungle. Graham and I saw some chimpanzees and some bonobos, which share 98.7% of our DNA. They do look like old men, and uh, they also, like us, share their food. They are peace-loving, much more gentle than the chimpanzees, and they are a matriarchal society led by the females rather than the males. Known sometimes as the make love not war apes, they maintain relationships and settle conflicts through sex. We also saw some gorillas and Graham took a picture of one of them and he was looking at him and raising his fist as if to say don't take my picture here we are in the butterfly parade you can see butterflies flying around some of the butterflies like dancing around with each other they do yes beautiful this blue one beautiful bright bright blue ones flying around Hello, what's Hello. your name? My name's Nikki. And we're, talking, and we're in an area where the um, rainbow lorikeets aviary. So they're all rainbow lorikeets in this particular aviary. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got about 60 to 65 birds all together. Yeah. Um, they originate from Australia originally. Yeah. yeah. Um, they tend to uh, pair up for life. That's great. Uh, yes, that is. We're into, coming into breeding season at the moment, yeah. but hopefully we should have some fledgling soon. Yeah. So what have we got, Graham? The, uh, you can get a liquid to feed the uh, birds from, from the dusk and you feed the birds themselves, yeah. And so how do you feed the birds with a liquid? It's a green liquid. Green liquid, yeah, and you give it to the birds. So just... Okay, yeah. okay, great. Right, we've both got a small container of green nectar in our hand and we hold it up and if they want it, they will come to you. There we are! Anyway, one's having a drink from Graham's nectar. So can you see what I mean about the tongue? Can you see the tongue? Oh yes, yes. Here we are. Here we go. Here we are. Please. Two going for Graham's nectar. Oh. Wonderful. I think it, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably a couple. Yeah, they're a couple, yeah. Yeah, because they do yeah. pair up for life. Yeah, that's nice. It is. And they'll build nests underground as well. Yes. 
Oh, they're building nests on the ground. Yeah, they did it out. They did the, okay. Oh, hello there, hello. You're having one that's standing on my hand and having a drink. Oh, that's it. I'm looking away at its tongue. Oh, wonderful. Oh. Rainbow lorikeet. Standing on my hand. That's absolutely lovely. They're not very magical. Magical. No, they're not. Absolutely magical. It is. Well, that convinces me I'm able to charm the birds out of the trees. There you go. <laughs> you literally just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks a lot, Nikki. Thank you for showing us the rainbow lorikeets. We're looking at two giraffes now, the tallest animal in the world. And these animals at Tricross Zoo are part of the European Endangered Species programs. These programs prevent the extinction of animals and support their conservation. Oh, okay, right, so uh, this is the flamingos. Oh. It says flamingos are experts at standing on one leg. Can do it for a long time. How long can you stand on one leg for? How long did you manage, Graham? Quite a while. I think because they think I ring from the shrimps. Okay. They're part of the European stud book. They're pink because they store the pink colouring from the shrimp they eat in their feathers. Right, we're sitting in the cafe at the moment where there's a big long window. So what can we see for the window, Graham? The uh, snow leopard. And it's just been walking past us. Wow, great. They're extremely rare, aren't they? Live in the Himalayan mountains, Central Asia. So what do you think of Troikot Zoo, Graham? Yeah, lots to see. Really good, yeah. It's really good indeed. And uh, so how did it feel to have a uh, lower keat standing on your hand while you uh, fed it with nectar. Yes, that was good, yeah. It is lovely. Okay, it's bye-bye from me, Dave Monks, uh, from Twycross Zoo, and bye-bye from Gray. Bye. I haven't been to Twycross for many a year, but certainly remember it as a thoroughly enjoyable day out. Now, I guess we all buy our dirty clothes in the washing machine very regularly, but Sue reads some expert advice from Anna Bonnet about what to clean and when. Life is but a never-ending cycle of laundry. At least, that's what it sometimes feels like. No sooner has one wash been folded and put away than the linen basket is brimming over once again. But if this sounds painfully familiar, Consider this. Might you be too quick to throw clothes down for washing in the first place? Kathleen Bell, a chemist and cleaning expert at sustainable household brand Small, thinks so. Unfortunately, many of us in the UK are guilty of over-cleaning, she says. Research has found that almost one in five of us is washing clothes that aren't even dirty. Adding things to the washing pile at the end of the day has become a bit of a habit for many people and a lot of us do it without thinking. It isn't hard to see the myriad benefits of lightening the load in the laundry basket. First and foremost, you'll be saving yourself time and money, says Belle. 
We all lead busy lives, and especially if you're in a large household, cutting down on the number of washes you do will incrementally reduce bills and win you back some time. Washing your clothes less will also help them last longer, because every time you wash them, particularly at high temperatures, it damages the fibres sheds and it's better for the environment as fewer washes mean less energy and water is being used. Fewer loads in the washing machine doesn't mean becoming dirty or unhygienic but simply taking time to consider whether an item is actually dirty and in need of cleaning before it goes in the linen basket. It's just about asking yourself does that jumper you've worn only once really need washing? Could the t-shirt actually go back in the drawer, explains Belle. According to Belle, there are some quick and easy ways to freshen up clothes without putting them down for washing. When you get home, take off clothes and shake them out before hanging them up to air for the next day. If you can, hang clothes near an open window to allow faint smells to fade more quickly. For items made of hardier fabrics, that is, not silks, you can add some essential oils to a spray bottle and mist over to refresh them. Steam is another easy way to freshen up clothes. If you're doing the ironing, make the most of the energy by also using the steam to refresh worn items. You can even hang clothes in the bathroom during and after a shower to take advantage of the steam created. Small stains and spillages can be cleaned without adding the item of clothing to the main load. Act quickly to remove as much of the stain as possible by scraping off any excess solids with the back of a knife and using cold water over the area to loosen the stain hot water will set it. Generally speaking, unless it's underwear or you've been sweating, most items don't need washing after one wear, says Belle. If something hasn't touched your skin, outer garments such as jumpers for instance, you could wear it for a week without it needing washing. If clothes are visibly dirty, more than just a small spill on an otherwise clean item, or you've been in an environment that has left a lingering smell, if perhaps you've been by a campfire all weekend, then you might need to act more quickly. A quick sniff test is always best. Your nose knows. Bell also recommends thinking about the fabric your clothing is made from and the particular care needs of that material. Items made from natural fibres, such as cotton, can often do a better job of losing smells than man-made fibres, she says. So what to wash when? Use this guide, but also trust your instincts and be sure to let clothes air before re-wearing, says Belle. Knickers and underpants, for hygiene reasons, wash after everywhere. Socks wash after everywhere. Bras. Overwashing can harm the shape and elasticity, so wear four times to a week before washing. T-shirts can often be worn two or three times before washing. Shirts and blouses can often be worn two or three times before they need washing. 
Skirts, wash after every four or five wears. Dresses, wash after every two or three wears unless it's a formal dress which may need dry cleaning. Trousers can be worn two or three times before washing. Jeans. While there's often debate around this, jeans are made of hardy material, so I would suggest washing after four to five wears. Pyjamas. If you're showering before bed and you're not a particularly hot sleeper, pyjamas can be worn all week. Otherwise, I would suggest changing every three nights or so, or more often if you suffer from night sweats. Exercise clothes. Wash after everywhere due to sweat. Swimwear. You should wash bikinis, swimming costumes and trunks after everywhere, just as you would underwear. And finally, jackets and blazers. If worn over other clothes and not touching your skin, outwear like jackets can usually be worn five or six times at least before needing a wash. There you are, some laundry tips from Anna, which could well save you water and energy, and money therefore. On those infrequent occasions when we get both rain and sunshine, there's often the delight of a multicoloured rainbow with the fairy tale of the clock of gold at the end. But here's Ali now with one of her own stories about the end of the rainbow. How many times have you heard the opening phrase in a fairy tale? Once upon a time... All the stories I grew up reading or being read to all started off with that and usually ended up with the same and they all lived happily ever after. Oh, how simple things were in the times of Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm when there was a beginning, a middle and an end. Usually the middle told the story which might have had a bit of threat, intrigue and upset before all coming good in the end. But why do we like fairy tales so much? Are they ways of escaping the reality of life? Or do we truly believe that over the rainbow there is a pot of gold? Well, believe it or not, that really happened to Julia Holmes. She was a 40-something-year-old housewife, mother of two, and they were extremely demanding twin boys called Seb and Kian, aged 10. Trust me, they were very naughty boys indeed, and into everything, and talk about cheeky. Seb and Kian played up so much and were out of control that it caused problems with Julia and her husband Mike. Julia was always trying to keep the peace, but when Mike and the boys were arguing, it got out of hand, and it usually ended up with Mike walking out of the house to calm down. It came as no surprise, therefore, but after one argument too many about the boys' behaviour, Mike said he couldn't take it any more. The boys were too much, and he didn't sign up for this when he agreed to be a dad. A few weeks had passed, and Mike said he wanted a divorce. He just didn't want to live in a war zone anymore. To be honest, it didn't come as a shock. She knew things had been a strain since the boys took a lot of her time up, and it was hard to keep them and Mike happy. She had hoped that Mike would have been more supportive and help her cope with their behaviour, but totally understood why he couldn't put up with it much longer. Julia knew that she had to take better charge. 
She really felt she was a soft touch where the boys were concerned. But she also worried that there was more to their behaviour and she needed to know what was causing it. There were days when they were little angels, but then something would happen, and it was usually after they'd been to see their gran, and they'd turn into demons at the drop of a hat. It was the day of their weekly visit to their grandmother, Mike's mother. They didn't have a good relationship. Mary, Mike's mother, never really approved of Julia. She openly told her on several occasions that she wasn't good enough for a son, and when someone tells you that all the time, you start to believe it. Mary was waiting at the gate for the boys to arrive. They'd taken their rucksacks with them, with their favourite toys, and ran up to her and gave her a big hug. You can come back for them at five, she snapped at Julia. So you won't even let me into the house, said Julia. Mary ignored her and walked up the path, holding hands with the boys, and took them into the house. As Julia walked back to her car, she started thinking about the boys and their behaviour, and what she could do to help them. Anyway, she was pleased that she had at least a few hours respite, but with divorce on her mind, she was feeling quite low. Julia was just about to open the car door, when she noticed the little dog across the road, that was running, trailing his lead behind him. So she went across the road and managed to put her foot on his lead, to stop him from running into the path of oncoming cars. He was only a little dog. A white Heinz 57, with a black patch over his eye, and very excitable. His tail was wagging so much, it could have fallen off. She picked him up in her arms, and he gave her a big lick on her cheek. Oh, you're such a sweet little thing. I wonder what your name is, she said. Marvin, said a man's voice. Julia turned around and saw this tall man looking at her rather sheepishly. I'm so grateful to you for grabbing hold of Marvin. My name's Tim, and you've already met Marvin. He's my sister's dog, and I'm supposed to be looking after him for the day, and if anything happened to him, she'd never have forgiven me. I lost grip of his lead, and he was off. Not a problem, said Julia. I'm just so happy I managed to stop him before he ran into the car. Tim took Marvin off Julia and noticed that he'd got his lead tangled around his leg and went to sit on a wall to untangle him and asked Julia if she'd be so kind as to hold on to his phone and carry a bag while he did it. I'm so sorry to keep you, he said, but thanks for helping with Marvin. You must at least let me buy you a coffee to say thanks. Julia had to think about it and thought, why not, and agreed. She needed to be able to start going out and enjoying her life again. And Tim seemed nice. So she decided to join him and Marvin in a nearby cafe for a nice cup of coffee and a chat. And chat they did for ages. Three coffees and two cream scones and a bowl of water for the dog later. They were making arrangements to meet up again. When it came to pick up the boys from their grand's house, Julia was in such a good mood. She walked up the path, confidently knocking on Mary's door and waited for the boys to come out. Mary was shocked to see Julia on the doorstep because there was this unwritten agreement that she should wait outside in the car until the boys came out to her. Such was the loathing that Mary had for Julia. 
But Julia wasn't going to take it anymore. She's not a bad person. Her marriage breakup was not just down to her. And since she met Tim, who boosted her confidence no end, she suddenly found a backbone. And she was loving it. Hello, Mary, said Julia. I've come for the boys. Will you tell them I'm here? The boys heard their mother's voice and came running to the door. Don't forget your rucksack, said Mary. The boys picked up their rucksacks from by the front door and Julia noticed something sticking out of the top of one of them. It was a huge tin of sweets. She investigated further and both of the rucksacks had sweets galore. In fact, they were crammed with them and it was something that Mary had given them. You know you're not allowed too many sweets, said Julia, because they make you hyperactive, she said to them. Oh, it's okay, Mummy, said Seb. Granny said that they were special sweets, and that we can eat them every day, but she told us that we can't tell you about them. Well, I'm sorry, boys, but you can't bring these sweets with you. And she took all of them out of the rucksacks and threw them on Mary's floor, much to her annoyance. The boys weren't happy, but seeing the amount of sweets they'd been given to bring home, and had eaten while they were there. It was obvious what the cause of their bad behaviour was. The sweets were causing them to be hyperactive, and this is why they played up so much at home. Oh, yes, Julia said to Mary. I'd be grateful if you didn't give the boys any more sweets, or I'll stop them from coming altogether. Mary just stood there open-mouthed. Wait until I tell Mike, you won't stand for it. Well, you can tell Mike what you want, and sooner or later you think, because I'm throwing him out of the house, and he can come back and live with his beloved mother. It's what you've wanted all along, so now you've got your wish. True to her word, Julie told Mike that she wouldn't oppose the divorce, and that, for the sake of the kids, she would be staying in the house, and he could go to his mother's. It took her a while to get the boys used to not having their sugar fix. But once they got it out of their system, they were like two totally different people. Mary's plan to split up Julia and Mike might have worked, but when Mike found out that the boy's bad behaviour was down to his own mother giving them sweets and knowing how it made them play up, he moved out and rented a flat in the next village. The divorce came through a year later, and apart from when Mike comes to pick up the boys at the weekend, Julia and Mike don't really have a relationship. He's seen some woman from work now, and by all accounts, it's not going anywhere. Julia started to see Tim on a regular basis, and when he'd visit, he'd borrow Marvin from his sister, and the boys adored him and Tim because he'd take them on wonderful days out, and they were a pleasure to be around. Julia was thrilled that after 18 months of seeing him, Tim asked her to marry him, and they'd planned to go abroad with the boys and get married on a sun-kissed beach. Just think, this would never have happened if she hadn't to stop that little dog from running off. Julia wanted her happy ending, and it looked like she was going to get her wish. Graham's 50th birthday was celebrated less as a party, more as a whirlwind rail tour with Dave, when they stopped off here, there and everywhere. And they continue last week's journey with more visits this week.
Who are we going to listen to tonight, Graham? Uh, Andy Ball also going to be the uh, ports and like Sea Dogs. I think uh, raising money for Chelsea. That sounds good to me. I don't know where we are, but it sounds good to me. birthday boy happy birthday all the best when we arrived there was a guest already there that was singer songwriter Henry Bull whom I spoke to well I started playing music uh, on some water filled bottles when I was about eight nine years old in the back garden of my parents house and a musician who lived behind the garden heard me playing these bottles, came and spoke to my parents and started giving me piano lessons. This gentleman was a absolute wonderful musician, an ex-band leader, so he taught me to play the piano in so many different ways. He taught me classical music, he taught me what he called syncopation in those days, and I've never looked back since. Okay, and you've, you've been singing uh, and writing your own songs as well. That is more recent. That's probably, uh, writing music would be in the last 10 to 15 years. No, a bit longer than that, maybe 20 years. Yes. Uh, the guitar I've always played, but it's always been for my own personal entertainment rather than for other people's entertainment. And uh, I, I just enjoy it now. It really is nice. It's given me a, another direction to go with my music. When you called this morning, it was good to hear your voice. I know that when you went away, you felt you had no choice. Now I know you're coming, time it seems so slow. But I'm sure that when you get here, I will find Henry, can yeah. I ask you about your time in South Africa and who you entertained Because oh, uh, I'm sure it mean like uh, Eddie, Eddie Calvert. Uh, Eddie Calvert, yes, I was playing with Eddie Calvert, did cabaret with Eva Boswell, um, was in a Pink Floyd tribute band, uh, on key, all on keyboards, none of this on guitar, and yeah, I, I've enjoyed my life there, and I'm enjoying it even more. Now I'm back in the UK. I was speaking to the other half of... of Tennessee Waltz, a lovely lady called Sarah Lou. Uh, so, how do you feel about coming to Graham's party? Well, I just feel really delighted to be invited and come and celebrate this lovely day with Graham. Uh, Jimmy and I are really excited. We thought we'd bring our instruments with us and maybe we'll be playing our guitars and mandolin 
later and be a bit of a sing around going on. But we've known Graham now for quite a few years, and yourself, David. Yeah, and you. it's just lovely spending time with you because obviously you live further down south in Coventry, don't Coventry, you? Yeah. So yeah, so it's, it's not often we get to spend time without a gig in the way. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Usually we see Graham in the audience at gigs, okay. so it's nice to spend some time with him here. It is great. Thank you, Sarah Lou. Thank you. David and Graham, tell me about I'm Sarah Lou here from Tennessee Wilts. I'm interviewing David and Graham today. Bit of a turnaround there. So tell me about your day today and how you've enjoyed it all. It's been, it's been uh, good having all my musical friends from around the area come along and sing you on saying or just watch and um, see us mess about. <laughs> 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 absolutely wonderful party. We're I'm honoured, very honoured, David. Um, because, as you know, he's been a friend for years. He's so supportive of everybody. So it's time to give a little bit back. Okay, to the special, right. special man that he is. Well, you wrote a lovely song that me and my wife loved, and I sang it at our golden wedding anniversary party, "Gamble with Love." So, are, are we going to sing a duet uh, with "Gamble with Love"? It would be silly not to, David. Yes, it would be silly. And only on one condition, though. Yeah. Graham joins us. Graham joins us, he will, yeah. Fantastic, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only David Monks with Gamble with Love. And Graham on keyboard, and Paul, and me. I've never been certain of anything else before except death and taxes and we're just passing through but as long as the sea washes up on the distant shore I hope you'll be with me as I know I'll be with you Come and lay down your bets On how long she will last with me I'm not easy to live with I'm not easy to love You can keep all your money All your wants and your certainties I'll stick with my queen I'm not a twist or gamble with love and the final part of that 50th celebration will be next week, which means we are now at the end of this edition of Outlook, so it's goodbye from the team and me until next week.